Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. There are things that go bump in the night, and we are the ones who bump back. Somewhere in the cosmos, perhaps, intelligent life may be watching these lights of ours, aware of what they mean. Or do our lights wander a lifeless cosmos? I couldn't help at one point in my discussions with General Secretary Gorbachev. I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held. If suddenly there was a threat to this world from another planet outside in the universe, well, I don't suppose we could wait for some alien race to come down and threaten us, but I think that between us we can bring about that realization. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to tonight's episode of Cryptique. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button and tell a friend. Email us case suggestions at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our other podcasts, Movie Hell, for a look at the silver screen and exploring evil if you want to sample some true crime. An overwhelming majority of you that filled out the poll on your favorite topic picked the paranormal. So tonight, we're going to take a look at a possession case. Not just any case. A nun, a possession, and a letter from the devil. Sister Maria Crossafisa de Concezione had taken spiritual refuge on the island of Sicily, a place of deep-rooted Christian traditions. St. Paul the Apostle is said to have preached there nearly 2,000 years ago. But where there is Christ, arguably there is also Satan, and Sister Maria seemingly struggled with both. Sister Maria had come to a Benedictine convent in Sicily at the age of 15. There, she was taught the Benedictine order of work, peace, and prayer. But for all of her devotion, Sister Maria did not seem to be at peace. In fact, she claimed to be possessed by the devil himself, which would eventually lead to the eerie letter filled with ominous symbols. Whether or not the devil exists, Sister Maria did appear to be a vessel for hellish torment. When approaching the convent altar, for example, she would reportedly shriek and lose consciousness, apparently convinced that Satan was trying to turn her towards evil, the nun seemed to be racked with inner conflict. Then came the letter. Yes, one day in 1676, the devil took control of the nun's body, or so she claimed, and wrote a diabolical message. The note did not use a familiar language, nor even a recognizable alphabet. Instead, its mysterious glyphs seemed to resemble a jumble of out-of-date letters and occult symbols. It would take 340 years to figure out what it all meant. Yet the letter penned by Sister Maria was so cryptic that it was unreadable. Her fellow nuns took her claim seriously, however, and placed the item on public display. And over the ensuing centuries, many codebreakers tried to crack the supposedly satanic language. But it wasn't until 2017 that anyone made any real progress. 
Yes, in that year, a team of computer scientists managed to break the code. The group went to some shadowy places in the name of unraveling the truth. The scientists only managed to decipher Sister Maria's letter with the help of a powerful and highly controlled decryption program. This software is used by governments and doesn't appear to be widely available. The team had to source it from the dark web, the hidden part of the internet that normally should be avoided at all costs. So why did they do this? The scientists thought Sister Maria had perhaps created the code using a blend of existing alphabets. Thanks to her years of exposure to religious scripture, the nun had been a skilled linguist with knowledge of both ancient and modern languages. The expert's theory proved to be right. We heard about the software which we believe is used by intelligence services for code breaking, Daniela Abate, the team's leader, told British newspaper The Times in 2017. We prime the software with ancient Greek, Arabic, and runic alphabet and Latin to unscramble some of the letters and show that it really is devilish, and that proved to be the key. The team managed to crack a portion of the note, 15 lines to be exact, although much of it was muddled and incoherent. But those parts that did make sense contained heretical statements that would have gotten Sister Maria into serious trouble. Why? Because if she wasn't possessed, she may have been a secret rebel, or a hoaxer, or perhaps part of her mind had split off from the rest. But it took a machine to crack Sister Maria's letter. And what we do know is that the author of the letter claimed that God is an invention of man and that God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost are deadweights. God thinks he can free mortals, says the letter. The system works for no one. Uh, also in the letter. I find it interesting that the code or the letter says that God is an invention of man, but then also says, but kind of if he was real, God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost are deadweights, and if he's real, God thinks he can free mortals. So uh -huh. it's kind of like they're saying that in her letter, Satan said that God is an invention of man, but then kind of goes on to say, oh, and by the way, he's also this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, it kind of takes a maybe a couple tacks to try to provoke people, whoever reads it or deciphers it. Yeah, that's a good point. And in what appears to be a reference to the mythological river that supposedly lies on the edge of the underworld, another sentence reads, perhaps now Styx is certain. And for those of you that don't know what Styx is, it is uh, the river of the underworld in Greek mythology, mm -hmm. where if you go into a cave or the underworld or whatever, and then you get on the river sticks and cross over. And that's where the land of the dead is basically. Right. And if I'm correct on my mythology, there really wasn't a heaven or hell. It was just a land of the dead. Right. That's my understanding. Yeah. And I think even in Jewish traditions, there's no real hell in the way we think of it. I think it's kind of a pretty uniquely Christian concept. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of different interpretations of it too, because I've seen, you know, there, there are TV shows that talk about it. There are books like, um, you know, the Anne Rice books talk about heaven and hell at certain points. Mm -hmm. If you read enough of them, there's one uh, called Memnock the devil. In this one, it describes hell as a place where people go to relive 
you know, kind of these terrible things that they've done and learn a lesson from it. Mm-hmm. It's like time out. Despite the religious content of Sister Maria's scrawled ramblings, Abate claims that it's doubtful the devil ever wrote them, which is a pretty safe assumption, you know, mm-hmm. if you're just looking at numbers. Yeah. She said to the Times, I personally believe that the nun had a good command of languages which allowed her to invent the code. And Sister Maria may have suffered from a condition like schizophrenia, which made her imagine dialogues with the devil. Many of the symptoms of schizophrenia do appear to closely resemble the supposed signs of demonic possession. They could include auditory hallucinations and strange fantasies. And similarly, the word salad spoken by some with the condition, which seems to reflect a breakdown in coherent thought, is perhaps not unlike the phenomenon of speaking in tongues. It's also worth noting that the type of delusions experienced by sufferers of schizophrenia can appear to reflect their cultural context. In strongly Christian societies, for example, the delusions can often involve religion, such as believing oneself to be a prophet or possessed by the devil. However, religion itself may be a catalyst for psychotic breakdowns, partly because of its themes and imagery. It seems significant that Sister Maria experienced her spirituality as a source of conflict. Despite seeking refuge in a convent, she could not find salvation. Instead, the nun was apparently beset by those same demonic forces that the Bible asks us to resist. Naturally, then, the belief in demonic possession persists to this day, so much so, in fact, that the Roman Catholic Church is purportedly endeavoring to train a new generation of exorcists. Some Protestant churches, too, have taken to casting demons in a self-proclaimed spiritual battle against the forces of darkness. But do their efforts represent anything more than a theatrical and potentially damaging form of psychotherapy? Equally, in 17th century Sicily, and so hundreds of years before the birth of Freud and modern psychiatry, could the experiences of Sister Maria, the nuns of Ludon, and countless others have been described in any other terms than metaphysical? Whatever the reality, the so-called devil's letter that Sister Maria penned is weird enough to keep us guessing even today. And sometimes it's the gray areas between fact and fiction that offer the most intrigue. I have seen what are allegedly photos of this letter. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're what they claim to be. I I couldn't find any information on if this letter is stored at a museum or anything like that. But the characters are very bizarre. And if someone that I knew was diagnosed with schizophrenia handed me that letter I would understand that it's the, you know, the illness that Mm -hmm. is causing the confusion and the uh, lack of coherence in any kind of um, pattern or anything like that. And I think in this case, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about, you know, decryption software and stuff like that, but it seems to me, and this kind of goes in, I've covered the uh, Zodiac deciphering a couple times in updates on exploring evil. And it's like, to me, if you don't like get the whole thing, then has it really been decrypted because you pull out a sentence that may possibly say this, or it looks like it may say this, or the software 
says that it may say this because it seems like if if it was able to be understood then everything would come together not just a couple yeah. lines here and there do you agree with that yeah i i, I do yeah it's it's you're not done mm-hmm. <laughs> you've decrypted a little bit of it or right. you know for something out of it that makes sense but it, it makes me wonder if this is a hoax or not. Yeah. Because, you know, they're saying she had all this knowledge, but it's like, if she wanted somebody to ever decrypt it, I'm, I'm sure her knowledge wasn't unique to her. Sure. You know, probably most of the nuns in that convent had something similar. I mean, she might've been the top there, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that over the next 300 and whatever years, there wasn't somebody else who was her equal who saw that letter and be like, Oh, I understand what this is. Right. And you would think that other monks or cardinals or, you know, people that uh, were at a higher level would have all that knowledge. Right. Because if you speak French or Spanish or whatever, and you see words or whatever mixed into English, you'll understand what they mean. If you see, you know, phonemes and symbols mixed into whatever kind of writing you're reading, if you understand what they are, odds are you'll be able to pick, pick out what they meant by that. Yeah. Which, which is what makes me think that if this is a code, it, it makes sense that the computer would be able to break it because it's looking for some kind of pattern. Mm-hmm. But if there was a consistent pattern, it would have gotten all of it. Unless they're just saying that, you know, the, the, the only part of it that was a message was this. And the rest yeah. is just stuff that she scribbled for right. whatever reason. Well, it's kind of like if you're doing a word search, sometimes you find, you know, six letters of a nine letter word that are in order. But if it doesn't have the last three, it's not the word. It doesn't matter that it's kind of almost that word or it's close to it either is or it isn't. And I don't know. I, I think that there's a possibility that it was a hoax like we kind of talked about earlier maybe for the right reasons now people will either say that christians are wonderful people that want to spread their religion not because of forcing it on people but because they want people to be saved and to go to heaven and stuff like that right mhm this could be kind of the same thing where she's like, Oh, I was possessed and the devil spoke through me. And then people say, Oh, the devil spoke through her. Well, well, uh, okay. Well then we have to believe in God and it must be the Christian God because you know, mm-hmm. this, this nun, um, you know, spoke directly with the devil and it may be kind of a, I don't know what I would call it. Kind of maybe a bait and switch. Like, yeah, hey, we got yeah. this writing by the devil. Oh, you're uh, you're converted. All right, great. So yeah, what's next? Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like the Barbara Streisand effect. <laughs> Tell me about that. I don't know about that, but it sounds funny. <laughs> the Barbara Streisand effect. I'll, I'll just I'll tell you what's what they say on Wikipedia. It, okay. It's I don't remember exactly where it came about, but. The general idea of it is when you try to, when you don't talk about something, sometimes you emphasize it more. Mm -hmm. 
So Wikipedia says the Streisand effect is a phenomenon that occurs when an attempt to hide, remove, or censor information has the unintended consequence of increasing awareness of that information, often via the internet. Mm -hmm. It is named after American singer Barbara Streisand, whose attempt to suppress the California Coastal Records Project's photograph of her residence in Malibu, California, taken to document California coastal erosion, inadvertently drew greater attention to it in 2003. Mm -hmm. So it's... Not the same thing, but it's kind of like they're they're not highlighting God. Right. And by doing that, you know, by highlighting something that is um, sort of like an accessory to God, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're highlighting the existence of God or or the existence of this thing implies the existence of another thing. Yes. Kind of like when you have astrophysicists. Okay. Who say like, okay, we can see this celestial body that we can observe move in this way. That implies the existence of this thing here that is affecting that path it moved along. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm using a more complicated metaphor to compare to yeah. this. But, yeah, but. a little bit. No, I, I get your point, though. You know, they use mathematics to figure out where, you know, planet zx 357 is going to be in a thousand years and it's going to be as close as it's ever been to earth and that's when they can send the you know the landing crew there and all this mm -hmm. stuff so jeff bezos can send his knob-shaped rocket again that's right that's i i think the interesting thing to me that i keep thinking about is just and i don't want to be part of a problem with misunderstanding psychological issues Mm -hmm. But I do wonder if some of this stuff is really a psychological issue. Mm -hmm. There was this quote that was saying, looking in the brain for consciousness is like looking in the radio for the orchestra. Mm. Yeah. And the, the theory was that the brain doesn't generate it. It just receives it and filters it and allows your consciousness to control this physical body you know, that your consciousness is somewhere else, you know, and whatever your theory of that is, if it's a soul, if it's, you know, your, your consciousness is just like a part of the, the universe. I think it was, um, I think it was Sagan though, who said that, you know, perhaps consciousness is the universe's way of experiencing itself. It's too deep for me, dude. Well, it, it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, it's deep. It, it, it has a lot of, implications because it just opens up a lot of possibilities so yeah i mean and all i'm suggesting is maybe that theory is right mm -hmm. that consciousness is somehow external to the body mm -hmm. and maybe what's happening is a breakdown of that filter some other consciousness is starting to be received and that causes some of this stuff and i i do think a lot of it is probably you know a medical thing mm -hmm. my grandma had um what did she have dementia? I think. Yeah. And there's something went wrong with her medicine and she didn't know where she was anymore. She didn't know who anybody was anymore. Mm -hmm. And when my mother and her siblings took her to the doctor, it was like, you know, laid out all this medicine, like here's what's going on with her. Here's this stuff. Figure this out. Mm -hmm. They figured out that there was some interaction between some of those drugs. And once they stopped those, she was totally back to normal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that was pretty obvious that it was something that that medicine was doing. Mm -hmm. But then there are things that people have that are so similar. 
you know, experiences that people have on ayahuasca or mm-hmm. just similar drugs like that, you know, psychoactive drugs where you have these out of body or spiritual experiences and people come back experiencing similar things. Mm-hmm. You know, one of these is this um, kind of guardian figure that mm-hmm. a lot of experiencers talk about that has, you know, it's like this large amorphous thing with many eyes and it kind of sits on the edge of this area that you're allowed into when you're in that state mm-hmm. and it stops you from seeing beyond it. And it's, you know, it's just kind of like a fun story. But then when so many people write about it, you know, when, when you've read like 10 books that all talk about the same thing, that this entity shows up over and over and you have people, you know, talking on YouTube or podcasts about their own experiences and they're all seeing the same thing. It just seems so unlikely that that many people would be reacting the same way to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we were talking about before this, when you have, you know, uh, flu shots and people don't react the same way to those all the time, mm-hmm. but everybody who takes this sees the same kind of thing or has the same kind of experience. It just, yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'm taking a really long rant to say that, I don't know that just because science recognizes it as a disorder and it's treatable doesn't mean that there's some spiritual influence that we don't understand involved. Yeah. So I don't know that her having some kind of schizophrenic thing rules out the idea that there's also this spiritual component to it that the breakdown of her consciousness is maybe allowing something else to come through or influenced by something else. Lifting the veil. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. My other thought was if this is a hoax by sister Maria, then I think it's very effective to farmers and businessmen and, um, beggars and prostitutes and stuff like that, that, wow, if this woman who's a nun in a convent can get possessed by the devil, how easy would it be for him to possess me? I better get my shit together. Mm. Trying to um, kind of put that out there, like, see, he can get anyone, you know, I'm doing my, and maybe, that's what she really believed. Maybe that's what the church wants you to believe, whatever. I could see that as a, an intended or even unintended effect of, you know, claiming to be possessed and writing this letter. So, yeah, I just think it's a really interesting situation because like we're saying, it's, it's knowledge that is common to the people there Mm -hmm. and none of them were able to figure it out. And it took modern technology to even get a part of it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's, and, and to be such a mundane thing, like it's so just, you know, it's like something you'd expect from that Krampus movie mm-hmm. that you were talking about <laughs> when we were doing that episode. It's like, God's just an invention and blah, blah, you know, it's like, yeah. what, what you're going through all this trouble and creating this mystery for 300 years. And that's, that's all you say. Yeah. I don't know. I had this part of the back of my mind that was when you were starting to read like the stuff that it was saying, it's like, Oh, and then they decrypted the rest of it. And it was like, Epstein didn't kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. It's like, it's so, you know, it's just something you'd read on like creepy pasta. Yeah. 
on Reddit or whatever. Well, she's not the only one that is a nun that's had some strange experiences, obviously. But we're going to talk about the intriguing story of St. Bernadette. Although the French woman has been dead for 140 years, there's something strange about her corpse. It's said, in fact, that her body remains eerily the same as it was on the day she died, which is kind of a pre prerequisite for being a saint, right? Their bodies, you know, decay super slow and, you know, people take their bones and use them to work miracles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's perhaps surprising because it wasn't the first time Satan had apparently called at a convent. 1632, about six months after the start of a devastating plague epidemic, a group of 17 nuns were sealed within the walls of an Ursuline convent in Loudun, France. They started to behave irrationally, which I would probably do if I was walled up too, but... Mm-hmm. Hey, we all just went through a lot of lockdown, so... Yeah. We know we all behave irrationally. Oh man, if I was locked in a room for the rest of my life with 16 nuns, I'd beat my head into the bricks and be done with it <laughs> i was more thinking about like you know I, I eat a whole box of oreos and watch like every video screen rants ever put out but hey mine makes sense too <laughs> so then they dist- then they started to behave irrationally several nuns even reported having visions then the women started acting in bizarre and inexplicable ways they cursed shouted and even barked drawing a sizable audience of onlookers as a result. The convent chaplain insisted that the nuns had been possessed by Satan. And faced with that kind of controversy, church authorities launched an investigation and came to a shocking conclusion. According to findings, local holy man Father Urbain Grandier was responsible for the shocking scenes at the convent. Apparently, Grandier was a dangerous sorcerer who'd forged a diabolical contract with Lucifer. He casted dark spells and conjured wicked spirits, and that had possessed the Ursuline nuns. In 1634, a trial was conducted and the cleric was judged to be guilty. His punishment was suitably grisly, too. Grandier's sentence proclaimed, We have ordered Urbain Grandier duly tried and convicted of the crimes of magic and causing demoniacal possession of several Ursuline nuns. He is to be taken to the public square and fastened to a stake on the scaffold and there be burned alive and his ashes scattered to the wind. The execution of Grandier did nothing to halt subsequent reports of possessions, but Sister Maria's letter isn't the only purported example of devilish writing. Cryptique will be right back. Have you ever wondered what it's like to kill a man? Hey, what's up, Crypt Keepers? Are you enjoying the show? If you haven't already, I suggest taking my true crime podcast, Exploring Evil, for a test drive. Exploring Evil focuses on lesser-known serial killers, occult murders, and murders with a paranormal twist, so it should be right up your alley. 
The Magdalena Solis episode features a prostitute who convinced a Mexican village she was a goddess. She presented with psychosis, religious delusions, delusions of grandeur, sexual perversions, sadism, incest, fetishism, vampirism, and pedophilia. You don't want to miss that one. In the Indian Blood Farm, we cover a case where a man had an outbuilding he was keeping the downtrodden. He kept them weak by continuously draining blood to sell to the local hospitals who were running on short supply. But one man escaped and told the world what was really happening. How about the Body Snatchers episode where corpses had their body parts replaced with PVC pipes so they could be sold for a profit? In the Antron Singleton case, we cover a rapper who killed and ate pieces of a woman. There's always something new and interesting to listen to and a lot of twists and turns. So check out Exploring Evil everywhere you find Cryptique. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Howl is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie Howl on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. In 1896, a book by John Ashton entitled The Devil in Britain and America claimed to contain a copy of, quote, the only known specimen of the devil's handwriting, end quote. Pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the sample itself sourced from a 16th century book in Latin called Introduction to the Languages of Chaldean, Syrian, and Armenian, and the Ten Other Languages. Did this match Sister Maria's? Well, the handwriting was supposedly recorded by Italian conjurer Ludovico Spoletano, who is something of a mystery to modern historians. It appears that the author may have first heard about Spoletano through a French intellectual who shared an interest in magical languages. The two are even known to have corresponded on the subject, and their story is fascinating. The story goes that Spoletano called forth Satan and quizzed him with a range of inquiries that the devil was apparently willing to answer in writing. But rather than possessing the conjurer, Satan reportedly caused the pen to float midair. He then wrote the answers directly onto Spolitano's paper, or so the legend claims. There's a precedent for the devil's writings. According to Ashton, the script may have been derived from Amarak, a language used in the region of Amara in Ethiopia. The writer claimed, quote, according to legend, Amarak was the primeval language spoken in Eden, end quote. And the sample published by Ashton continues to intrigue scholars. Both modern-day academics and amateur code crackers confess that the writing makes no sense. It probably comes as no surprise, then, to hear that no one has yet been able to decipher the text. And ultimately, the notion that the specimen actually shows the devil's handwriting may be nothing more than an elaborate prank. 
Still, at least the script has a demonic appearance. A few of the characters seem to resemble pitchforks. Not all psychiatrists believe that demonic possession is a form of mental illness, though. Dr. Richard Gallagher of Columbia University, for one, claims to have seen scores of possession cases. And according to Gallagher, demons are real, and one of the things they like to do is speak strange languages. Demons are fallen angels, said Gallagher to the Daily Mail in June of 2018. They are extremely bright, much brighter than humans. They've been around for millennia, so they speak all languages. I've heard them speak Chinese and ancient Greek, which I studied. I've certainly heard them speak and understand Latin. They do it probably to freak you out or to show off, to boast. I understand that believing in evil spirits is not a very comforting belief, and it has implications that, you know, we don't want to accept, Gallagher went on. Having said that, there's plenty of alternative theories, but I don't think those theories hold water. And when you've seen some of these cases, you realize that this is clearly not something that could be explained by psychopathology or trickery or anything like that. Numerous mental health professionals share Gallagher's belief, so the doctor is not alone. According to Dr. Mark Albany, some psychiatrists recognize that an individual's spiritual beliefs, whatever they are, have a role to play. There's certainly openness to experiences that are happening that are beyond what we can explain by MRI scans, neurobiology, or even psychological theories, he told CNN in August of 2017. And according to psychologist Dr. Stephen Diamond, exorcism may represent an archaic form of psychotherapy. He asserts, for example, that Jesus Christ was reported to have cast out demons inhabiting sick individuals. In addition, one of the pioneering figures of Western medicine, Hippocrates, was himself an exorcist. The practice of exorcism itself, moreover, has a long and diverse history that spans many religions across the world. In an article published by the website Psychology Today in 2012, Diamond even wrote about the similarities between psychotherapy and exorcisms. The expert explained, quote, psychotherapy, like exorcism, commonly consists of a prolonged, pitched, demanding, soul-wrenching, sometimes tedious, bitter battle royale with the patient's diabolically stubborn emotional demons. That is quite a description. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. They don't rule each other out, you know? Mm. Mm. You know, who knows? Maybe the demons are the ones that implant schizophrenia. Uh, maybe right. some people have schizophrenia and hear demons or see demons, and some people are perfectly normal and sober in hear and see demons. So they don't, they're not mutually exclusive in any way, shape, or form. Right. This is at times waged over the course of years or even decades rather than weeks or months, and not necessarily always with consummate success. Diamond added, the main difference between psychotherapy and exorcism is that modern psychotherapy is typically a secular treatment for figurative, metaphorical demons, mental, emotional, or psychological traumas, memories, or complexes, whereas exorcism takes the existence of demons quite literally. Doing so can have certain advantages in treating patients who believe in the devil, demons, and exorcism if for no other reason than the extremely impressive power of suggestion. And the belief in demonic possession continues to be relatively widespread in some societies. In July 2018, for example, a passenger on a packed metro train in Mexico City filmed an impromptu exorcism taking place in full view of commuters. 
Watched more than a million times, the clip shows a well-dressed man appearing to beseech Jesus Christ while a woman, who is allegedly possessed, screeches the word devil. At one point, the man says, in the name of Jesus, leave. You need to leave in the name of Jesus. You need to go. But while the woman initially appears to submit, she then commences to attack him with a large umbrella. I always knew the umbrella was a tool of the devil. I mean, I watched a lot of Batman, so I saw the penguin and all his umbrellas and hidden knives and all sorts of stuff. So. According to media sources from the area, such bizarre sights are not unheard of on the city's metro trains. And we've covered this in other cases, and I've certainly covered it on Exploring Evil. But in Mexico, a large majority of the population is Catholic. So whatever that's worth. What's more, religious convictions are sometimes so vivid and deeply held that they beget moral panic. In September 2019, for instance, St. Edward Catholic School in Nashville purged its library of Harry Potter books upon the say-so of the school pastor, who had apparently been advised by many exorcists. Explaining his actions, Reverend Daniel Rehill contacted the parents of the school's students, writing, The Harry Potter books present magic as both good and evil, which is not true, but in fact, a clever deception. The curses and spells used in the books are actual curses and spells, which, when read by a human being, risk conjuring evil spirits into the presence of the person reading the text. I've never heard that before of you. No. No, I've never heard that. I've heard knee-jerk reactions from pearl-clutching parents back in the day who were afraid of their kids reading Harry Potter and then trying to do rituals or whatever. But the funny thing about it is... Christmas is celebrated in those books. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's just like a single point. There's lots of things you could discuss about the nature of how magic is portrayed and spirits are portrayed in that. But the fact that pretty much every book covers like a Christmas break mm-hmm. and there's like a Christmas scene where everybody's together and doing Christmassy stuff kind of poops on that. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. It makes it a little bit harder to swallow that it's like, you know, trying to take you away from your your faith yeah or it could just be put in there to make you think that but i would like to i've never read a harry potter book or watched a harry potter movie but i would like to find out what spells are allegedly real and she may have just added them to the books because it's cooler to have something that's supposed to be real than not it doesn't necessarily mean she was trying to turn kids into devil worshipers. I mean, most of the spells are like, um, they're, they're super simple. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, wave your wand this way, save this word. It's, it's like one thing. Mm-hmm. And then at least in the movies later on, it's like, they don't even always say the words. They just wave the wand and the thing happens. Like it's very, it's very much secondary to the story. Is it like that in the books, too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the books go a little bit more into depth. There are certain things where it's like, there's one where the kids want need to disguise themselves to be able to get into this like part of the school that they're not supposed to be in. Mm-hmm. And to do it, the big challenge is they have to like get a hair or something from those people, and they put it into this like mixture of other stuff. And they drink it and then they they have like an hour where they're going to look like that person. 
changes their DNA. Yeah, but it's not saying like <laughs> you lay out a cauldron and you put this in and you put that in and you draw this symbol on the ground. It's like most of the spell stuff that they do in there is very, very simple, you right. know, very easy to digest in a you know young adult fantasy novel. Yeah, I mean, like if a kid says, "I want to look like so and so." It's not likely that the devil is wringing his hands being like, ha, 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 I got him now. Yeah, right. But in situations where moral panic hinders rational action, the consequences can be tragic. In London in 2016, for instance, the possession of 26-year-old Kennedy Ife started with a sore throat and sleeping problems. Ife's condition worsened, however, as he became delusional and agitated and claimed to have a serpent inside him. According to subsequent court testimony from one of his brothers, he also started to behave aggressively. Allegedly, Ives' family, who are said to have been charismatic Christians, went on to hide all the kitchen knives and restrain the 26-year-old using handcuffs and rope. The relatives then supposedly attempted a home exorcism, but their cure was ineffective. Reportedly, Ives' breathing became labored and he started to moan, feeling dehydrated. Tragically, the young man would eventually die with his brothers attempting to perform a ritualistic resurrection, ultimately being to no avail. Home exorcism. Yeah. What kind of kit do you get for that? I don't know. I don't know. I guess you got to go to one of those, like a Christian supply store. I got no, because I went to Christian supply stores as a kid to get stuff for like school when i was in a private school and it's yeah. just like uniforms and sweaters and like you had to have your you know if you're a girl your skirt was a certain pattern or like the you know <laughs> like there's a particular uh version of plaid that was for your school that you're supposed to mm -hmm. use if it was going to be on your skirt or like a sweater or something well you have to look for the curtain that's like a beaded curtain only it's all rosaries and you walk through that into the back and that's where you get your exorcism supplies from. <laughs> so like it's it looks like an inconspicuous like hippie healing crystal shop. Mm -hmm. But it's that's a little right. bit more serious than that. Very much so. I've always really been against the idea of just being closed off to everything because of your religion. And I don't know other religions. You know, right. I grew up Catholic. I know what I know, you know, from what I learned in school. And maybe it's be partially because of the way I was taught, you know, having gone to a religious school as a kid. Mm -hmm. And they taught us like the like they didn't just teach us. Catholicism. They taught us other stuff too. They taught us like this is what Islam is, and this is how it's similar, you know, and this is mm -hmm. how Judaism is similar. And here, you know, we we generally believe in the same God, and we have a lot of the same morality and a lot of the same rules. And the differences come down to, you know, what role did Jesus play? Is he a, you know, is he 
God, son of God? Is he a prophet? You know, all this stuff. And they taught us like be understanding of other people's religions. Like people are believing what they believe because they're all trying to better themselves and live correctly and have been indoctrinated. (laughs) And you need to be tolerant. And it's, it's like not a lot of people got that memo. It seems like. Yeah. And they're, and especially with something silly like Harry Potter mm-hmm. where it's like, it's just the spells are like you point your wand and you say this word that's like four letters long, five letters long. And it makes, you know, your glasses lens uncrack. Yeah. Or it makes this thing float over to you or whatever. Like it's not, those books were not about the magic. Gotcha. They were about an adventure. They could have been like a sci-fi thing. They could have done it a little bit differently and made a technology and it would have been exactly the same. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really ancillary to everything else going on in it. And the other thing that I was thinking about while we were talking about this and is uh, Vikings, Mm -hmm. the TV show Vikings. The last one that I was watching was the Vikings are in England Mm -hmm. and they captured Bishop Ekman, something like that. But he's like this really odd character, this Bishop. He's like really handsome and he's like kind of a ladies man, but he's also like very odd in his behavior. Like he's a little bit stiff and robotic Uh and he like notices stuff. He's just like super intense and he's also a warrior. Like he's very effective as a fighter Mm -hmm. and he like prays. He's like, God, forgive me for the work I'm going to do today. Mm-hmm. And like he he's does like some they suggest some like self-flagellation, like where he like purposely like pushes his body through thorn bushes and things like that to punish himself for the things he's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a point where that he's captured. He's like, you know, he's solo surrounded by Vikings and they're like, you know, take him prisoner. Don't kill him. And there's this these scenes where he's chained up and he's like praying and he's trying to figure out what to do. And there are scenes where he's alone and he's like, you know, God, please help me escape. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, get me out of the situation. Don't let me be tempted by these people. And he's telling the Vikings that, that are talking to him too. Like, you know, you're just trying to tempt me. You're heathens and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, we're, we live by our gods Mm -hmm. from our point of view. You're the heathen. Mm -hmm. Like we're, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. You know, and he's like, well, I've heard all these stories about you. And they're like, people tell stories all the time about people they've never met. How do you know that any of this is true? How do you know what we're like? How do you know what I'm like? Mm -hmm. And he's having this like crisis of faith because he's being confronted with a way of life he doesn't understand. And he's kind of knee jerk saying like that anything he doesn't understand is the devil trying to trick you. Yeah. Like one of the Vikings is like, I've seen my gods before. I've had experiences. And he's like, it's the devil trying to trick you, trying to lead you down a path. Yeah. And it's just, it's the same kind of way of thinking where it's like, that makes you ban a children's book. (laughs) Well, I think that history has already shown that if Harry Potter led you to the devil, then there would be probably billions of, devil worshipers because i i may be the only person that's never watched a harry potter movie or read any book so yeah i don't know the books the books are obviously better than the movies Mm -hmm. and there's more to it but there and there's a lot of like darkness with the magic there's a lot of magic you're not supposed to do that you're not Mm -hmm. supposed to read about that you're not supposed to mess with 
but it's it's just like religion in that way yeah don't mess with dark forces that you don't understand and it the main villain is sort of a cautionary thing of like this is what happens when you go down that path right. this is what you turn into when you when you do mess with these things that you can't control That's all we've got on Possessed Nuns, so we hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to check out Exploring Evil and Movie Howl. Email us what you want more of on the show at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned after the last commercial and enjoy some music. Good night, Crypt Keepers. Crypt Keepers.